Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. I'm going to finish a series today that we started the first of the, the first of the month. It's a four-week series. I meant it to be two, and then God stretched it to three, and now here it is four. But at the same time, it was something that God just kept creating inside of me. And I'm going to call it New Thing Four. God's doing a new thing, a new thing four. Amen. There it is right there. A new thing, week four. And we're going to talk about the majestic story. The majestic story. You know, prophets, prophets in the Old Testament prophesied about the desert blooming as a rose and water going to be in the, in the wilderness and all of that. And I, I got to thinking one day that maybe they wasn't talking about the land. Maybe they were talking about a man that was going to come because he is the rose of Sharon. Jesus is the lily of the valley. And he is the bright and morning star. And, and... You know, he said, if you believe on me as a scripture, I said, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. And this spake he of the spirit which was not yet given because he had not yet been glorified. And he told a woman at the well, if you drink the water that I give you, you'll never thirst again. So maybe Isaiah was pointing to a man instead of a, a landmass. Maybe he was talking about the man Christ Jesus. I want to talk to you about the majestic story today. And I'll be honest with you, this message is so much bigger than me. That to envelop it in about 25 minutes is going to be impossible. But I'm going to do my best. Will you help me preach today? Put your hand on your heart and say, Pastor, preach the word to me today. Let it touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Pastor, preach the word to me today. Let it touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Pastor, preach the word to me today. Let me leave here a better person than I was when I came in, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Clap your hands and be seated today. God bless you. The majestic story, the grandiose story, the magnificent story, the monumental story, the sovereign story, the superb story, the lofty story. The regal story, the royal story, the splendid story. A few synonyms that try to express how we feel about the story that we're fixing to tell you today. There's, five, there's a book called 501 Incredible, but True Facts to Amaze You. It's a kid's book. It'll amaze you. And for example, stories like this. Did you hear about the guy in Virginia who was struck by lightning seven times and lived? I can't figure out if it was good luck or if it was bad luck. Or the fact that a a python can swallow a pig whole and then not have to eat again for a year. That's what you call pigging out. I did that at Dairy Queen years ago. (laughs) And did you know that Beethoven used to dump ice water on his head to stimulate his brain? No wonder his music sounds so weird. But even more fascinating, 
Here are some facts about our world. The oldest elements found on earth are zircon crystals from Australia that are 4,276 million years old. That's an old stone. And there are rocks found at the top of Mount Everest that were formed in the bottom of the sea six million years ago. That Everest used to be under a big old, big old place of water. The earth's crust is 20 miles deep. If you compare it to the full size of the earth, it would be equivalent to the thickness of an eggshell. So we really are walking on eggshells after all. When we walk on the terra firma, we walk on. Here's a couple more about outer space. Just thoughts I want you to think. It takes eight and a half minutes for light to travel the 93 million miles from the sun to the earth. And if it were possible for all the adults on the planet to stand on each other's shoulders... In a human chain, if we just stood on each other's shoulder, all 7 billion plus, it would reach all the way to the moon. And the moon's just 240,000 miles away. So what is man that thou art mindful of him? That's pretty magnificent. That's pretty majestic. But John, in his first chapter, his intent in his opening chapter was, in the paragraphs of his gospels, not to give historic details of the birth of Jesus Christ. He doesn't try to assemble like Luke did to orderly account. He did not, like Matthew, argue for Jesus' genealogy to prove his rightful claim to Messiahship. But John begins, when you read the book of John, he begins with the far-flung vastness of all creation, of all wisdom, of all knowledge, of all life. Then out of the wonder of the universe and across the millions of years of created life, an eternal word is heard, that endless logos. And John says, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him. And without Him, not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of humankind. And verse 14 said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Now, not quite as poetic, Eugene Peterson's message translation of the verse gives you a down-to-earth flair. Peterson says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the hood, the neighborhood. We saw the glory with our own eyes, one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and on the outside, true from start to finish. I think that deserves an applause today. I think that's an awesome word today. Just the Bible. Just the Bible. Don Strobe preached one time a sermon called The Autobiography of God. And he tells of a woman who called her minister a few weeks before Christmas. And she was in charge of the community tree lighting in the town square. And she was struggling with selection of carols to be sung. And I know I'm mentioning Christmas, but that's, that's when Christ came. But she was looking for something appropriate for the occasion, and I suppose she was a little overwhelmed with the Christian message. She said most of the songs are just too theological, and we need something a little more generic. And Pastor Don said this. He said, Christmas is not something out of Charles Dickens, nor of the aroma of a steaming plum pudding or the twink, twinkle of bells, pardon me, or even Tiny Tim. It's not just a festoon to be jammed into a child's stocking. It is something about the universe. It is the answer to a question. And the question is, what is God like? Does anybody know what God's like? And he concludes this. Christianity has the audacity 
to claim that this ultimate reality which we call God, has manifested his nature at a specific time, a specific place, and a specific person, Jesus of Nazareth. Christianity has the audacity to proclaim that God is like an innocent child born of refugee parents under an oppressive regime, like common shepherds hearing choirs of angels, like mysterious magi contemplating the skies. This God who comes to us to bridge the great divide between God and man. And in this child, on this night, earth and heaven met. He said, track the human genome as far as it'll go. Study the bones of dinosaurs dating back millions of years and follow the path of evolution to the very origins of life. And through it all, if you look closely with the eyes of faith, you will discover the amazing presence of a creative God, the source of all creation. Then listen for the word which this God has sent. He was in the beginning with God and was God. And all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Isaiah said, I'm doing a new thing. Revelation said, Behold, I make all things new. Could it be that Isaiah was pointing to what I'm about to preach about? Could it be that Revelation was pointing back to the one that I'm going to talk about? Could it be that all the Bible, all the Bible expostulates and handles and covers this man called Christ Jesus? Could it be that the Lamb of God is the center focus of everything that we preach and that we discuss in the Bible? But could it be, could it be that we as people don't really understand and fathom the awesomeness of what he's all about? Because the God that he represented and the place that he came from and the place that he came to is all we understand is where he landed. We don't understand where he came from and we can't really get a hold of where he was in a long time ago. But I will tell you this, in the beginning God and in the ending God, I will tell you he had no beginning, he had no ending. He's never going to go away. He's going to be God no matter what day it is in your life. He's still going to be God. Somebody ought to rejoice in that because when everybody runs out on you, when everybody says, I'm through with you, there's one that says, I'm still here. I'm still here. Come on, you need to praise that God today. You need to magnify that name today. There's a true story that comes from an old west about a group of Apaches who attacked a cavalry unit and captured the paymaster's safe one day. And they had never seen a safe before, but they knew it contained gold. They knew what, what it was inside. So they tried to open the safe, but they were unsuccessful. They beat it with their tomahawks. didn't work. They dragged it over the ground with their horses. didn't work. They heated it on the fire. didn't work. They tried to blast it with gunpowder. didn't work. Finally, they dropped it off a cliff into a great ravine. And in spite of their best effort, the safe just bounced down the mountainside. And when it landed, it was still tight. Finally, they gave it up and left it behind. Later, the army found the abandoned safe, and the paymaster immediately rushed to it, turned the combination within a few minutes, had it open. For all practical purposes, the mystery was impenetrable in the safe until someone was found who knew the combination. 400 years before Christ, the Greek philosopher, I'm going to preach in a minute, stay with me. His name was Plato, sought to penetrate the unfathomable mysteries of reality. He described the human condition like this. Man is imprisoned in a cave. He's shackled in a world from which he cannot escape. 
He wears blinders so that his perspective is limited to what is directly in front of him. Before him are only the shadows of real objects. Given these restraints, he's able to view only a small part of reality, to comprehend a tiny fraction of truth. No wonder Plato's name still lives even today. He was a brilliant student of recognition of the human situation. He said we were shadows in a dark cave. But Plato was a great philosopher. But even the simplest Christian believer has an advantage over this noble Greek. Because the simplest Christian believer knows that into the dark cave of human condition, God one day shone a great and wondrous light. We call him our day star. You know why we call him our day star? Because he doesn't have to have night to shine. He shines in the day and he shines in the night. He's with you 24-7. He's never going to go away. Oh, I feel like preaching right now. That's why we call him that Plato. You had a lot of understanding, but you didn't understand what we understand. We have seen the light that has been shined into our dark, dark place in life. An ancient theologian named Origen tried to simplify the message of Christ coming like this. He said, suppose there were a statue so large that the human eye could simply not take it in with one look. It was so big that the man would have to walk around it and walk around it and see it in pieces. But how best to grasp the essential form and substance of this statue? Would it not be wise to make a small copy of the exact scale but much reduced? Then humanity could see the greater statue was like. And Origen went on to say, this is what God has done in Jesus Christ. Because the one who is all-powerful, the one who knows all, the one who sees all, the one who's never going to go away, one day decided if the only way I'm going to be able to touch humankind is to become what they are, is to be who they are. And so he came and robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld the glory of the, of the begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Aren't you glad today, really, aren't you glad today that Jesus came not with judgment? He didn't come with the sword to divide and, and cast us all down. He came with grace. He showed us nail-printed hands. He went to a cross for us. And for the last 2,000 years, we've been living in one of the greatest dispensations that you'll ever know in your life. In fact, the Bible said, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, that word day is the word epoch in the Greek, which means the age. When the age of Pentecost, not a 24-hour period, but when the age of Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost, when the church was established, it's not going to go away. The only thing that's going to take this church out of here is when the trumpet sounds. The church is not going under. The church is going over. The church is not going to be, oh, somebody help me right now. It's not going to be defeated. It's not going to be stepped on. It's not going to be lied under. It's not going to be put down. It's going to rise up to meet the Lord one day in the air. Clap your hands and rejoice in that because Jesus established the church. So I've got three little points today. I really do. Three little points. Enoch and Elijah were the only two men that ever ascended from this earth to heaven without tasting death. Enoch walked with God and was not for God took him. And Elijah performed seven miracles. And evidently the Lord didn't want Elijah. Did not want Elijah to have to be placed in a grave because a double portion was coming to Elisha if he saw him when he went away. And so God orchestrated that Elijah could be gone. And when Elisha looked up and said, oh, my Lord, my Lord, the chariots of the Lord and the horsemen thereof, there came a cape, there came that mantle. And Elisha picked it up and grabbed it and went back to the river and said, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And smote that water and did 14 miracles. In fact, the last miracle he performed was after he had died. 
and some soldiers came along and saw some bones in an open grave and said, we ain't got time to bury this guy. Let's just throw him in that grave with them bones. And when the band hit the bones, he come up alive. Can I just preach a little bit? You know what? When God, when God touches you, when God touches your life, he's not going to extract it tomorrow. When God fills you with the Holy Ghost, he's not going to pull out tomorrow. He's going to take care of you. Somebody said, well, I don't feel like I got the power today. Oh, the devil don't believe that. Hell knows when you've been plugged into Jesus Christ, there's something awesome about you. There's something glorious about you. There's something great that he can't handle. Everybody say, God came down to our level. When I couldn't go to him, he came to me. I read about a man, the preacher, who took his junior high school son fishing one day. And it was one of those days when the fish wouldn't bite, so the two of them had a lot of time to talk. And out of the blue, his junior high son asked, Dad, what's the toughest thing God ever tried to do? And his dad was caught off guard, so he didn't know what to say, so he did what a lot of good preachers and ministers do. He answered the question with a question. So he said, what do you think, what do you think it was, son? And the son responded, said, even though you're a minister, dad, you don't know much about God, do you? And before his dad could answer, the son did what his dad did. He answered his question with another one. He said, dad, since taking science in school, I thought the creation of the world might be the hardest thing God ever tried to do. But he said in Sunday school, we got to talking about some miracles like, like Lazarus' resurrection and like Jesus' resurrection. And I thought that might be the toughest thing God ever tried to do. Then after thinking some more and talking to others, I decided no one really knows God real well. So I know, now I think, that the toughest thing that God ever tried to do is to get us to understand who he is and how much he loves us. Let me repeat that. Who he is and how much he loves us. I, I, I want to say today, I don't know if a miracle is going to happen in this house today. I don't come to church just because a miracle might happen. I come to church because I am the miracle. Jesus has saved my soul. But I will tell you this. If a miracle doesn't happen today, I'm still going to honor God. If a miracle doesn't happen, if, if your family is not brought together after this service today, I'm still going to be here next Wednesday night and next Sunday because I believe in that God. But I will tell you this. I am here today to tell you that even though you don't have a miracle today, even though your family might be dysfunctional today, and even though things might be going bump in the night in your life, Jesus loves you today. He loves you today. Can anybody get excited about that? Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Can I get excited today? Can I jump up and down for the Lord? He loves you. People get all these icky, wicky feelings. Well, you know, it's an icky, wicky day. Yeah, you're going to have those icky, wicky days. How did I come up with that name? My Lord. Icky, wicky. 
that sounds like something a kid would say, icky, wicky. You're going to have those kind of days. You're going to have days when you're in a daze. <laughs> There's going to be days in your life you say, why did I get up today? But you've got a constant in your life. And the reason you have that constant is because God expressed himself to us in the form of the Son of God, the flesh of God, Jesus Christ. He said, I'm not going to stay up here aloof and above everything y'all are. I'm going to come right where you are. I'm going to walk right among you. I'm going to be your God right here with you. I'm going to heal the sick. I'm going to raise the dead. I'm going to open up the blind eyes. I'm going to calm the widow's hearts. I'm going to bless dads. I'm going to help moms. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to walk with you every step of the way for 33 and a half years. I'm going to be here with you. God had to come down. He had to come down. He had to come down. There's an old boy. My son-in-law was here. He'd love this story. There's an old boy. He used to quarterback. I think he's a quarterback. Alabama named John Kroll. He quarterback. I think back in the 70s, late 60s, 70s. I know he's right. I think it was after Namath. So his 70s or maybe early 80s. He's a devout Christian. And he and his wife, he married his high school sweetheart. He and his wife uh, had a couple of kids and they decided to open up this thing for wayward kids, wayward sons, wayward boys, maybe orphans or perhaps children that parents didn't want or perhaps people that had been abused, boys that had been abused. And they, they can keep up, they could keep up to about 300 on that ranch. They called it the Big Oak Boys Ranch. It's incredible. And, and John Kroll said that he saw 300 type A miracles from those boys, how God just transformed their life and how God filled them with his spirit and how God touched them and turned them around. And he said, I saw it. And he said, but you know what? You know, you know what caused it? He said, they found out one day I lived in a smaller house than they lived in. They said, they, he said, they saw my house and said, wow, wow, coach, this is your house? Yeah, and we live in that house. He said the house they live in is massive because it takes care of a lot of boys. And I live in this little old house and my family. But he said it don't matter. But he said it, it blessed them. He said they, it moved them. It touched them. Let me tell you something. The God of heaven. Are you ready for this? The God of heaven lives in pretty good stuff. We wouldn't want to go to a heaven that wasn't pretty good. In fact, Revelation declares and talks about it said it's walls of jasper and gates of pearl and streets of gold and a river of life and it's pretty neat stuff and 12 stories and 12 foundations and a foundation every foundation is the name of one of the apostles of the lamb and wow it's bad stuff and every floor is 1500 miles wide and 1500 miles long and 125 miles high every floor what floor you want to live on when you get there and here's what God, this is what God inhabited. He inhabited this. He inhabited this. But when he came through a virgin at Bethlehem, he was a baby born at Bethlehem. And he was the son of God. He was the flesh of God. And God Almighty dwelt among us. And he had to be protected by a man named Joseph and by a woman named Mary. Had to flee to Egypt. A lot of things had to happen for him to live. But he lived. Because he made the statement later in his life, no man's going to take my life. 
You may try, but you're not going to get me. I'll just fly away. When I get ready, I'll lay my life down. But when I get ready, I'm going to get myself up too. But the beauty of this man, the beauty of this Savior was simply this, is that when he walked among us, he didn't live in a better house. In fact, try to find his locale. Try to find where he lived. Try to find it. Yeah, he lived in Nazareth. Yeah, he's Jesus of Nazareth. Yeah, yeah. No good thing can come out of Nazareth, and that's what everybody thought. He lived in Nazareth with his parents. But what about when they were gone? Did he still live with his mother during his ministry? I think he, he made the statement. He said this, foxes have holes and the birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath nowhere to lay his head. I think he spent time in the mountain. I think he'd duck by Lazarus' house and Mary and Martha's every now and then. He did like old Simon the leper. Wow, what a crowd. What a crowd. A dying man, a man that used to be a leper. But he'd go by there and probably get, 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 some, get some stuff cleaned up and, and probably get some bread. But Jesus Christ didn't try to high hat anybody. He didn't try to be a pompous king for anybody. He came to be a servant to everybody. He came to help you, came to heal you, came to bless you. And if you think that he's trying to outgun you, outdo you, you thought wrong. All he wanted to do was heal you. All he wanted to do was save you. All he wanted to do was seeking to save that which was lost. That's all he came to do. It's bigger than I am, but I'm so happy that he came down to where I was. I'm so happy he came to where I was. I'm so happy he came to where I was because if he hadn't come down, I'd have never known him. Wow. He came down. He came down. He came down. He wasn't born in Rome, wasn't born in Athens, wasn't born in a palace, a castle, a large hotel, a resort area. He was born in a stable because he wasn't trying to be above anybody. He was trying to help everybody. That's what he came to do. As one young man wrote him one time in a letter, said, hey, Jesus, anything special about Bethlehem or did you just figure it was a good place to start a franchise? Hallelujah. Aren't you glad that franchise is still rolling? And one prophet said, And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Clap your hands because his kingdom is never going out of business. Never going out of business. Never. Because he came down, humanity has been lifted up. Anybody here ever been, I'm going to get my glasses on so I can see this because Y'all get your hands up and down so quick. You're almost like praying mantis. No, I mean the opposite of praying mantis. How many of you have been healed by the Lord? Come on. Been healed. How many of you are being healed right now as I speak? May the healing of the Holy Ghost be on you right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You came suffering, you're going to leave here blessed today in the name of the Lord. You came hurting, you're going to leave healed today in Jesus' name. You came down, you're going to be lifted right now in the name of the Lord. By the power of God, in Jesus' name, let healing go forth right now. How many have been healed by the power of God? Come on, raise your hand. How many have been saved by the power of God? Raise your hand. How many like to be touched again by the power of God today? Raise your hand. Do you understand what I'm talking about? He came down to where we were so he could lift us from where we were to where he wanted us to be. He would have never had that opportunity had it not been for the fact that he came and robed himself in flesh. And he walked among us. Oh, I feel good about this. I got goosebumps preaching about it. It's an incredible thing. It's like one old boy, a French author named Balzac. 
fancied himself at being an expert in handwriting analysis. And he believed that he could determine the character of people by analyzing their script. And so one day, an old lady brought a little boy's homework book and asked the great writer, interpreter, expert to, to, to give his opinion on the child's potential by his handwriting. And Balzac, the great, studied very carefully with the irregular, untidy script and then asked, are you the boy's mother? And the woman said, no. Are you any kin? No. Then I'll be frank with you, he said. This boy is slovenly and he's pretty stupid. He never amount to much at all in life. Really, said the woman. Matter of fact, this notebook was your own when you were a little boy at school. Can I say something right now? Don't let the world tell you who you are. Don't get your identity from them. There's one greater than the world can ever give you. His name is Jesus. Get your identity from him. You don't have to be crazy about it, but I'm telling you, you are somebody. The secret is out. You are somebody here today. Come on, say, I count in the kingdom of God. I count in the kingdom of God. He's doing a brand new thing. He came down to us so we could go with him. Isn't it awesome to hear Jesus preach? Because when you hear him preach, you just get lifted. It just lifts you, just lifts you. Jesus is a lifter of your souls. He's a lifter of your heads. Isn't it an awesome thing to hear the Jesus story one more time? Just a simple Jesus story. He came to where we were. I'm doing a brand new thing. And the new thing is I'm going to give you a chance to realize who the almighty God of heaven really is. I'm going to robe myself in flesh and walk among you. And I'm going to claim you for my own. Clap your hands and rejoice at the name of the Lord here today. He came down. He lifted humanity up. Which means salvation has drawn near. Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. He wanted to save the lost. He wanted to save the lost. He wanted to redeem those that were lost. That's why he came. That's his purpose for coming. John the Baptist was quoting Isaiah, said the voice of one crying in the wilderness says, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. And every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough way shall be made smooth. I don't know if you know it or not. But that word right there is the only time valley's mentioned after Jesus comes on the scene. Because Jesus doesn't want us living in the valleys of despair. He wants us being blessed. By somebody that lifted the valley and brought down the mountain and allowed you to experience a revelation of the mighty God in Christ. Amen. Amen. He's the Lion of Judah. He's become the Lamb of God. We are so absurd in our desire to do something grandiose in order to earn our salvation. Let me say this today. You can't get good enough to ever get God. You got to just trust him. He's the savior. 
Not you. You can't save yourself. You can't save yourself. He could and he didn't because he wanted to save you. If you be the son of God, come off that cross, save yourself. He could have, but he didn't because he wanted to save you. He wanted to save me. I will tell you this. I'll never forget the night that I received the Lord in my life. When the Holy Ghost came on me, the Spirit of God baptized me. I'll never forget it. How old was you, preacher? Nine years old. How old are you now? Older than that. <laughs> but the Lord came down. I used to be one of them kind of kids that would go to the altar and seek the Lord. And I'd be so tired, I'd go to sleep at the altar. And Daddy'd have to pick me up asleep, and I'd be so embarrassed. I'd say, I'm not going back again. But I was so hungry for God. Then when the altar call was given again, I'd go back down there and I'd lay my head down and I'd look around and see if anybody's praying with me. Nobody much prayed for a kid nine years old. But there was one that knew I was praying. There was one that knew that I loved him. And one night he came and baptized my soul. Wow. I never shall forget the day when all the burdens of my heart rolled away. It makes me happy, glad, and free. I'll sing and shout it because it's everything to me. <laughs> Pastor, I, got, I won a million dollars in the lottery. Really? Good. Pastor, I got a new car. Really? Good. Pastor, I got a new wife. Really? Good. Pastor, you got me some new clothes today. Good. I got new boots. Good. All that's good. But when you say, Pastor, I met the Lord today. Great. Oh, there's something about it. And you're in a place today where the Holy Ghost and the power of God is moving and blessing and touching and healing. And there's nothing greater that God could do than to baptize you and to fill you with his glorious presence today. I got to close. Help me, Randy. Act like I'm closing anyhow. <laughs> I've told this story a long time ago, but our church has transition in it and attrition. And a lot of people are coming now that didn't come when I told this story before, but it's one of the greatest stories. In fact, it's one of the most awesome stories of salvation I've ever told. His name was Peter Richley. He was, a, he was an Australian Navy man and left England to go to Australia to join the Navy. And he was on a ship one day and had some trouble that it just embarked, just, just took off. And it sank in the, in the water. And there was about, about 31 guys on the boat, and, and all of them were athletic men. They were Navy men. And so they swam about 200 yards to the shore and made it safe. A little later that day, in the same channel, another ship came by, another boat came by, another ship with a boat, and they got on that boat, and it caught on fire in about the next 15 minutes, and it sank. But they wasn't far enough away, so they, they swam to a, a place where they could hold on some rocks, and two boats down. Another boat came by and picked them up, and when they told their story, that boat thought that they were jinxes on that boat. So you 
you mean y'all have already been down twice? Yeah. And that boat sank. And they, they blamed the Jonas that they had picked up. So three, three ships went down the same day. Lou Lamore told this story at a banquet. Swore it was true. And I kind of like Louie. I like those Sackett boys. And so I checked the story out, and it's a true story. You can Google it if you want to. It's fine. Fourth ship came by, carried them a ways. That ship sunk, developed a hole, and they couldn't get it sealed, and it sunk in the water again and now he's laying back he's looking up at the stars in the sky and he said <laughs> this is either my most lucky day or my most unlucky day but I'm still alive and I've been down with four boats and I'm still here maybe I'm meant to live the fifth boat came by and picked him up it traveled maybe a few, a few miles and it sunk five times in the water five times He's there paddling water, and the rest of them, the rest of them old boys, they've gone on the shore that night. He's just there. He's, he's waiting in the, in the, he's waiting to be picked up. He said, another boat's coming. In the city of Leeds, a, a boat from England came by and on its way to Australia, and they picked up a lone survivor. They picked up Peter Mitchell. Put him in the boat, and the captain put him in the, uh, with the doctor, and the doctor checked him out and found out he was all right. He was really, he's still cool. Been, had, had, had been sunk five times. Still cool. And so the captain came in and said, You doing good, Peter? He said, I'm doing great. He said, Anything you need me to do, I'm a, I'm a good hand. He said, Well, I want you to do something. He said, There's a woman on this ship that's in convulsions with fever, and she's coming to Australia. She's looking for a son she'd been praying for for 15 years. And said, We put a bunch of guys in there, but said, She don't, she don't get any relief. Said, She's looking for her son. Would you mind going in and acting like you're her son because you're about the age she's talking about? He said, yeah, I'll go in there. So he walks in, and on the bed is a the thin, sick body of a, of a little lady. He looks at her in the eyes. He realizes, that's my mama. That's Sarah Ridgely right there. He falls, falls on his face and tells her he's so sorry for leaving her and not letting her know where he was. For 15 years, she'd been praying for God to reunite him. Maybe that's why he went down in the water five times. Because you know God devises means. For by the man it shall not be expelled from his glory. Some of you people are running into problems and buzz saws and you're wondering why. I'll tell you why. Because the right ship had come along. There's a Savior. There's a Savior in this house. There's a Savior in this house. There's a healer in this house. Somebody wants to help you today. You wants to help you. Wants to help you. I wish. I wish I could come and sit where you are if you don't know the Lord, so I could come and and, and, and receive Him in my heart and repent of my sins and confess my love to the Lord and arise and be baptized in water and receive the baptism of the Spirit. I wish I could do that, but I can't. I've made my choice. But I wish, I, wish to, I wish you'd understand that this new thing is the greatest thing. You talk about a new name. You talk about a new song. You're talking about a new adjacent possible. This is the greatest thing I could ever preach on something new. Jesus walked this earth for you, for me. 
And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.